Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. As was stated, my name is Father Joe Mulligan. So we have a number of Irish represented here. <laughs> and uh, I work in Nicaragua, been there for 35 years. I'm a Jesuit priest, but it's always a joy to come back here to the States. And uh, I lived in the Pilsen neighborhood of Chicago for a few years after ordination. And uh, now my work in Nicaragua is with what we call small Christian communities, Christian-based communities in some of the neighborhoods of Managua. And these are small groups. Sometimes they meet in people's homes uh, or in some small hall or small chapel that we have. And there's a very strong uh, biblical orientation to these groups and a very strong social commitment. So for me, it's, it's a great blessing to be able to work with them. Also, I have a ministry to people with disabilities, uh, mostly blind people. And so it's uh, pastoral accompaniment and also assistance to the people who really have very little uh, in terms of pensions in a country like that. So it's good to be here with you today. Uh, last night, yesterday afternoon, I preached about uh, two of the readings for today. Today I would like to focus on just a couple of verses in the second reading where St. James says, Where do the wars and where do the conflicts among you come from? Is it not from your passions that make war within your members? You covet but do not possess. You kill and envy but you cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. So we're seeing there that one of the motivating forces for violence, motivating forces for war, is our covetousness. We might say greed. And so what I would like to do with you today is to reflect a little bit on our relationship with things, our relationship with wealth, and our relationship with money. Because uh, St. James says you covet and you do not possess, therefore you wage war. So it's a difficult area to get into, but uh, I think uh, I would just like to open up certain questions uh, with you. Now I say that, so this is, what does, this, what does the gospel mean to people like us? When I say people like us, I mean people with some means, people with some money, people with some degree of material means. What is the gospel asking of us? Difficult area, but I think it's very um, central to the gospel. Well, one example of how Christian institutions deal with the question of money and especially their investments is the whole question of responsible investment. You may, you may know of this. Um, I'm not here to promote any particular uh, organization that does that. But uh, there are groups that help dioceses and religious orders and hospitals and Catholic universities to see about their investments. Where is their money? Where is their money coming from? And so these are very, very practical kinds of um, counseling that they give. Um, so a religious order, for instance, may have uh, money, may have investments 
in uh, various companies that may be doing some harm in the world. And we have to be co cognizant of that and then try to do something about it. So sometimes people will get up at a stockholders meeting representing the religious order. My order, the Jesuits, has stocks. Uh, but we're also involved with this question of responsible investment. And so we find out, well, where is the company uh, making its money? And it may be paying uh, very low wages, it may discriminate against women and against minority groups. It may be involved in mining operations, which are very common in Latin America and Africa, that may be doing a great deal of damage to the environment and displacing the indigenous. So there are all these questions about where is our money coming from? How is our money making more money? And now this is down to the nitty gritty of the material uh, elements of our Christian life. But the gospel speaks very much about this issue. So we ask that question and somebody may get up at a stockholders meeting and say, well, we, we're challenging this. We don't think this company should continue its mining operations in Guatemala because it's displacing the indigenous people or it's uh, ruining the water supply, that type of thing. They usually get about 1%, if that, of the vote. You know, <laughs> That's about it. So we don't expect to really win, but we can influence the policies of the company. So that's one way that uh, people can uh, examine our relationship to wealth, our relationship to money. Where is it coming from? How is it making more money? And to be involved in change, to uh, challenge unjust practices. It's very common among religious, uh, religious orders and dioceses and religious institutions, so we can be involved in that too. Then we have the question of the gospel as good news to the poor. This is very common. Jesus in his first sermon in Nazareth, said that he had come, quoting from the prophet Isaiah, said that he had come to bring good news to the poor. Well, what about the rich? Uh, that's my question. And um, good news to the poor, freedom to captives. What about people like us? We're not poor, most of us. Uh, I take a vow of poverty as a Jesuit, as a religious, and we try to live simply, but we don't always live up to that. Um, we have means, we have uh, material means to, to do things. We have to question ourselves as to whether the material wealth or means that we have is really necessary for our apostolic work or whether it's necessary for my comfort and pleasure. You know, so that's something that we can ask about. But um, for people like us, and I mean people middle class, you know, everybody likes to identify as middle class. Well, there's middle class, upper class, upper middle, upper upper, you know, <laughs> and um, super rich, that type of thing. That's reality of life in the United States. So um, how, how does the gospel come across to us as good news? It's good news to the rich because Jesus loves everyone. And when Jesus asked, invited the rich young man to give up his possessions, sell what you have, give to the poor, come follow me, Jesus said. Uh, the gospel says he looked at him with love. Jesus looked at the rich young man with love because he wanted to do something that would be good for him. 
He wanted his, Jesus wanted his message to be good news to the rich. Similarly, the story of um, Zacchaeus, delightful story, this short little guy who had to climb up the tree in order to be able to see Jesus passing by. He was very rich, St. Luke says. He was very rich, Zacchaeus. So he climbed up the tree, see what Jesus looked like, see what he had to say. Jesus saw him, said, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I want to speak with you. I want to visit with you tonight, today, in your home. And Zacchaeus came down. He was overjoyed, you know, at the invitation of Jesus. And he gave half his goods to the poor. And the people he had exploited, the people he had cheated, he gave them fourfold restitution. Fourfold restitution. That's the story of Zacchaeus. <laughs> so Jesus was good news to him. He came down, he was overjoyed coming down from the tree and then having Jesus in his home. So what can the good news of Jesus mean to, to the rich, to people like us? We're all rich in comparison with a certain percentage of people in the United States. I don't want to get too close, I'm sorry. I don't have my... Uh... <laughs> um, and in comparison with the rest of the world, we're all very rich, that's for sure. Um, the good news of Jesus for people like us can be liberation from the rat race, from the high-pressured life that some of us live. It can be liberation from the anxiety that many people are feeling now in the United States because of the economy. What's going to happen to my job? How, how big a loss? will I have to take? Well, if we're liberated from that dependency on material possessions, if we're liberated from that dependency on maintaining our status quo, our level of life, our level of... Then we say, well, um, okay, we have to accept the reality. If something happens, I might have to go down a few notches, you know, but it's not going to be the end of the world. I don't have to turn to drugs and other things because this is the end of my world. <laughs> it's not. There are other things in life. It can be liberating from that uh, rat race, that um, high-pressured kind of life, in order to have time for our family, for our friends, for other kinds of things. And so I think in many ways, uh, the good news is good news to all of us. And uh, we need to examine our priorities. And uh, there's also the saying that you cannot serve both God and mammon. Money, famous statement in the Gospels. That is, we have to have our priorities correct. And just to wind down a little bit, a good friend of mine, a Jesuit who worked in El Salvador and who has uh, died a few years ago, coined the term downward mobility. Downward mobility is freedom from our attachment to our current level of life, to be able to move down if we need to. You still have your family, you still have your friends, uh, you still have the beautiful things of nature to look at. So it's not the end of the world. We don't have to turn to drugs and opium and all this sort of thing or, or despair if our lifestyle is going to change and um, downward mobility. And uh, also in, the, in our Jesuit way of life, according to St. Ignatius, the founder of the Jesuits, we need to look at our uh, attachments, 
our inordinate attachments. That was our inordinate attachments. Now we're all attached. Attachments can be good. We're attached to our family. We're attached to wife, husband, community, attached to beautiful things. But if that's inordinate, then it's a problem because it interferes with our freedom to love God and other people. So all of this requires discernment. You know, what can I do about the money I have invested? Can I make sure that that money is not blood money? And yes, we can. There are things that can be done. We still have investments, the Jesuits, but we try to see where they are and how they're making money. And then good news to, good news to people like us. It means that we can be free from this inordinate attachment that many of us have. And so I think there's, there's a lot of food for thought there. I won't go on too much longer, but uh, I just wanted to bring that up. I think that uh, it's important to see a challenge. It's, it's a great challenge. Nobody should go on a guilt trip, but we should go on a freedom trip, a liberation trip to be, to be free as human beings, as Christians, to love God, love our family, love our neighbors, and especially people in need. So I think we can pray for guidance. Um, there are many problems facing us in the world today, but uh, the Lord is always with us. God won't solve our problems, but he will always strengthen us to struggle successfully and with joy and peace with our struggles.